I was really trying to pass it, but my hand wasn't used to doing it. And so the ball was like going toward the rim. It was like, I'm not supposed to go over there. Welcome to What's On My Mind podcast with Eddie Johnson. Welcome to podcast number four. Glad you stopped in. I hope 2016 has gotten off to a tremendous start for you. Also want to remind you, you can access this podcast three ways in the video version. One, you can simply go to YouTube. Two, you can visit my Facebook fan page, What's On My Mind With EJ, or continue to visit my website, eddiejohnson8.com. If you just want the audio version, subscribe to iTunes or visit SoundCloud. This podcast is brought to you by Jason Mitchell Realty Group. If you are in the market to buy or sell your home, then I suggest Jason and his team at Realty Executives. From just about every accolade you can imagine on a local and national level, their technology and resources are simply the best in the business. So please give Jason and his team a call at 480-522-1030. Again, that's 480-522-1030. Or visit them at mitchellgroupaz.com. Had a tremendous podcast, number three, last week. Had a tremendous guest. Reggie Theus back in the day segment was extremely popular. And now we move on to number four. And number four is going to bring you three splendid guests again. Two ex-NFL players will stop in to discuss athletic meltdowns, particularly in their sport. And then in my Back in the Day segment, Kevin Willis will join me. One of my best teammates ever will join me and talk about what he's doing now and reliving the past. Again, I encourage you to stop in, purchase my book at eddiejohnson8.com. I've gotten a great response from you. Continue to visit. And for that segment that we all look forward to every week, Kwame Lasseter and Rees Lloyd, they drop in to discuss athletic meltdowns with me. It's time for the segment that makes us shake our heads, you big dummy. Welcome to my big dummy segment. And I have two tremendous guests this week that's going to really break it down for you. And one of my subjects I'm going to talk about this week is actually athletic meltdowns. We've seen it historically. We've seen athletes melt down in a variety of sports, even coaches. I mean, Dennis Green, he had one of the best I've ever seen. The Bears are who we thought they were, right? So we've seen athletes melt down. And I just want to talk to two guys that really uh, had tremendous careers. and, And they can give us a lot of information when it comes to really the subject of football players and that environment melting down. You know, my first guest is Kwame Lasseter. I mean, he played in the NFL for 10 years, one of the most physical players you ever want to see. Matter of fact, he's tackled me a couple of times on the golf course. But he's the pride of Hampton, Virginia, attended the University of Kansas. Kwame, thank you. And also, I must tell you that Kwame Lasseter hosts his own sports talk radio show on Voice America Internet Radio Network. Reeves Lloyd... He beat me up this past summer, Kwame, on the golf course. I first met him. I didn't even know he was a football player until he broke it down to me. And uh, he embarrassed me. He was out driving me by about 50 yards. And then I got to know Reeves and found out four years in the NFL as a kicker, born in Dover, England, and played his career in Carolina and Baltimore, and right now has a soccer academy in Tampa, Florida. It's called the Academy of Soccer. 
Gentlemen, thank you. Welcome. I'm a basketball player, and I'm not going to try to be an authority on this. That's why I'm asking you all questions. Uh, this was obviously in the news this past week in the Cincinnati-Pittsburgh game when Vontez Burfick really put a hit on Antonio Brown, and everything seemed to melt down for the Cincinnati Bengals right after that. Kwame, look, you're in that defensive backfield. You put a lot of hits on a lot of guys. What's the mindset of a perfect? Because everybody's saying he's a bad guy and he's vicious and all of that. What is the mindset buildup for a football player, especially in a playoff setting of that magnitude? In the playoffs, it's uh, definitely. First of all, thank you for allowing me to be on the show. Um, I'm enjoying it. It seems like you're having a lot of fun. But when you talk about defensive guys just in general, the mindset is totally different. And I noticed it. I watched it. I tried to uh, compare how how I think going into a game to one of the top offensive guys going into a game, and it's totally different. My my intentions is to set the tone. So when you talk about Burfick and the, and the Cincinnati Bengals and the Pittsburgh Steelers game, I often wonder, how does a guy that talented lose his mind? But then I go back to me first. Before I can even make a judgment on him, I say, well, what was my mentality? I wanted to set the tone. It wasn't a cheap shot. I've never went into a game. Sometimes when I watch these football games, I wonder, are these guys trying to Finish these guys' career? You never do that in a professional sport. But I never went into a game and said, this is your last game ever in history. I wanted to set the tone. I would take a 15-yard penalty just so you know you cannot come back here in this backfield. So now I don't have to worry about you anymore through the game, not the receiver, not the quarterback. And that's when I start picking passes off because you worrying about me hitting you. My thing is with uh, Burfey is how can you be so talented and all of a sudden lose your mind that same mind that got you to a point where you became a professional athlete to the sport you love, to a passion you have, uh, to be successful, to be one of the best, but in a moment, you lose your mind. I have a problem with that when guys like that can get to a high level and then they self-destruct. Is it, is it like accepting, like you, you, you want to be out of control when you're on the field, right? You want to be aggressive, but then is also have a maturity to understand that you can't, disobey the rules and right. it just seems like it's a fine line there is that is that a part too of coaches like pushing you to a point where sometimes you do step over that line because you feel like you're not doing your job and you extend yourself see if you're thinking about the rules in football you're thinking about playing dirty yeah now Reeves you know you after that happened right with perfect then you see Pac-Man Jones, who's had a history, right, of, yeah. of, of getting in trouble off the field, and he loses his mind, and I thought just really cost Cincinnati. I mean, they were still out of field goal range, probably not for your leg. You probably would have kicked it from where they were. <laughs> but they got an extra 15 uh. yards added yeah. on from Pac-Man Jones. Now, explain that to me. I mean, he's watching this. He understands what just happened. His team is trying to hold them off, but yet he melts down and allows them to get another 15 yards. Yeah, yeah. it's funny. He just covered it there. It's, it's understanding where the emotions can take over in a game and where you have to be smart. And, and guys, you know, that everybody's got a trigger, I think, um, whether it's uh, a play in a game, whether it's an emotion, whether it's, you know, talking to another guy, whether, you know, to try and get him off of his game. I think, you know, obviously a guy like that who has a history like that, who can snap at any point and do silly things, I think 
when the emotion takes over and you see those things happen, I think another the other team kind of exploits those those patterns and says, "Hey, this guy has got a history of this. Let's provoke him or let's do this." And and it that happens in every sport. I think I, I, every every sport's got like the bad guy or whatever you want to call him, who you know when you step on the field, you're trying to rattle his cage a little bit to get him off his game or to maybe for him to make a stupid mistake like Pac-Man did. And it's it's one of those things where it's very difficult to be stay in the moment and, and figure out what's going on around you and not get caught up in my emotion taking over. And then it all goes downhill there. And, and afterwards, you get all the teammates saying, hey, don't do that. You know, they're trying to do it on purpose and, and all those things. But the guy, the, the guy is completely switched off at that point. And all he's focusing on is just doing something dumb because that's what his emotions is telling him to. You know, you have a different view of it all because, you know, you're sitting over there and <laughs> your job happens actually when they get in the red zone, right? Yeah, and and that's when you run hit. out or after they score a touchdown. Yep. And so you're looking at it in a different view and you're seeing all these emotions going on on the sideline yep. from guys coming in. Yep. I mean, how do you handle that? Did you take leadership in that to maybe try to calm guys down? <laughs> I mean, what's your view? Because you're sitting over there and I know sometimes they might look at kickers a little bit differently within yeah, the football okay. team. But, I mean, from your experience, what hand did you have in maybe trying to help that situation? Well, I think it, it varies between every guy. I think you know you, you know your teammates. You know what kind of guys you've got on the team. And I think you know that um, a guy like that is maybe not a guy that you go and – you just got to go and let him call off. I mean, I, the more and more people talk to him and is in his ear – Maybe he's he continues to replay all the emotions in his mind, and it keeps him active in that in that stage. But there are some guys where you can go over and say forget about it, and then there are some guys where you just say you know what, just leave him alone and let him cool down and, and let him figure it out for themselves. There was you know I, I play I had the fortunate uh, time to play with Steve Smith for a few years, and we knew what Steve Smith we got per day purely because he either told you or he had a different face mask on his helmet. If he had a clear one on, he was social that day. If he had a dark one on, it was like, just leave him alone. Um, and, and and little things like that, you get to, you know, tendencies, you get to figure out teammates. And <clears throat> I think for someone like that, I think you just got to let him go and, and just let him cool down and try and let him figure it out. Because he does seem like a guy who, the more and more you try and calm him down, the more and more he's going to get amped up because he's instead of you calming down, he's just going to continue to argue with him because he doesn't see the rational side of what we're, you, we're trying to talk about. All he's seeing is, I, I just want to go and do something stupid. And all the while you keep reminding him, I feel like he is never going to let it go because he just, it, no matter what anybody says, they're all wrong because mm -hmm. it's in his head. And, and, that's, and that is such a difficult thing to get. I mean, I'm like it. Um, with sports, just and I think that's a competitive nature. But some guys just handle things differently. So yeah, and it's always good, I guess, to stay in the moment. And you know, for reason, and, and, and Kwame, reason I were talking about this off air is that you know kickers are viewed a little bit differently. And, and you're in a de you're a defensive guy, and you know after Blair Walsh missed that field goal, which everybody says was a chip shot, right? But they don't understand what being in the moment is. You know, right. even that could have been a five-yard field goal attempt. It didn't matter. That was to win the game. And, you know, I heard something, you know, and Reese, you can answer this question first. You know, 
do the laces have a have a problem? You know, is it a problem with the laces when they're facing the kicker and all of these things? Uh, you in that environment, it's got to be tough for Blair Walsh. I mean, what was your mindset when you saw him miss it? Well, this is this is the thing. I, I did a I did a little thing on on Facebook because everybody obviously started asking me questions, and then all the Dan Marino, Ace Ventura things started coming out with the laces out and all that sort of stuff. L- listen, that. There's three components, well, actually four components that went into that kick for me as as seeing it as being played and watching it. There's three things or four things. The first thing is this. They did, Seattle did extremely well of coming off the corner on every field goal and they almost blocked one of them. They got close to another one. That plays into a kicker's mind and a snapper and a holder and, and because they know that that's where the pressure is coming. The second thing is this, they had a rookie snapper and snappers, when you get in the NFL, the ball rotation is within a quarter of a panel turn for a snapper or for a holder every single time. And it's like clockwork. Those guys are so good at it. As a rookie, you get, you're putting him in a position, it's a playoff game, it's a game-winning field goal. Yes, it's short, but nothing changes for him. It's still a seven or an eight or a seven-and-a-half-yard right. snap, however, whatever the rotation is on his ball, and they figure that out. I, I think he got a little either excited or nervous or, or was like, I need to fire this back quicker because the people off the corner are coming quicker. And all of a sudden, the spin's now off, right? It's just no different from like a golf swing. The harder you swing right. at it, the more things can go wrong. Um, but in your head, you think, I've got to swing. I've got to flip this back quick. I think the, the holder did a, a poor job of at least trying to make a quarter turn of the panel to make sure that you're not kicking laces. Um, again, it was cold. There's a lot of things that go into it. He's wearing gloves. But at the same token, you want to give the kicker the best chance. Now, on the kicker side of things, from a 27-yard field goal, laces or no laces, you make that kick. Right. Right? Cold weather or not cold weather, you make the kick. It's big time. You got to make it. I'm glad to hear right? that. And, 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 and here's the thing. He even came out and said it. It's not like it's, it, it's not, and, and any kicker would say that. Yeah, I, I should have made it. Well, yes, you should have. But mentally, when you see laces there, I don't think it, it actually affects the ball if the laces are on the side obviously, because the weight then carries the ball slightly. I think he was more worried about the rush off to the right-hand side than actually the kick. Uh Because if you watched his body language, when he saw that ball, he went so quickly at it and tried to turn and just said, because it's so close, I can favor the left side a little bit because the ball's not going to travel and and completely disappear. And I think he just yanked it. You hear all this talk about, oh, we don't need kickers now in football. You know, just play four downs. You know, we don't need them to come in and decide the game after we've worked hard for, you know, for 50 minutes or what have you, right? I mean, what's your thought on that? Because, I mean, I've heard quotes historically, right, about when a a kicker misses it, everybody jumps on it. When they make it, they're a hero. I mean, what's your thought on it? Because I'm sure you've been on both ends of it. Yeah, I, I think that's idiotic. We need kickers in the game. If you ask some of the best kickers who can kick 50-plus yards and consistently make those more times than not, that's when it determines and, and determines whether your team wins the football game or not. So I was glad to hear what uh, Blair was saying. I was, when I, when I was uh, watching that game, the Seattle-Minnesota Seattle, um, game, I was a fanatic 
when he missed that 27 yarder, chip shot, if you will, I'm like, what the? What are you doing? You're supposed <laughs> to make that. That's all you have. That's your job. Then I calm myself down and say, you know what? That guy is the reason why they were in that game. Uh-huh. And it's good to have a defensive player on and a kicker on, and you both agree. You know, because I have, I've heard stories and I've heard comments, though, from players that would go off in that scenario. But it's good to hear that from you on here. I want you to know, I've always said football is a man's game. And after watching that game last week in Minnesota with the wind chill 24 below, look, I, look I'm look, i telling you right now, I, I think y'all big dummies out there in that cold weather. <laughs> hey, no way. Let me tell you something. No way would I get out there. I would retire right there. I'm done. See, you can't I, my last tired. question to both of you guys. You look at a game like that because we all wanted to watch it, right? Because it's great TV. But to play in an environment like that, to play in that cold weather, first of all, I want to know what's the coldest that you all have played in. And Reese, he went to the University of Minnesota, so he, he, he was in the cold. And then how do, how do you counter that? Because guys are out there with their sleeves, no sleeves on. Matter of fact, I think I saw, uh, I don't know who it was, I think uh, Sherman, he didn't even have a T-shirt on his uniform. I mean, his, his jersey came up. And you saw his body. And I'm like, are you kidding me? I don't get it, man. Please get me into the mindset of how you all think in that cold weather. Well, you, you block it out. I, I, I know when I was at University of Kansas, we played Nebraska. Nebraska was freezing cold. That might have been, it probably was zero degrees. That might have been the coldest game um, that I played in as a, in my career. Uh, but when you when you out there, a lot of guys want to be tough. They, they get in the locker room. They they psych themselves out. They put on Vaseline because it closed your pores, keep the heat trapped in. So that's why you see guys with no sleeves. Uh, another reason we don't wear sleeves is because when you start sweating and you get on sleeves, you get colder. So it's better off to not wear sleeves uh, as opposed to wearing them and then get cold once you start sweating. Oh, well, Reed, hold it, Reed, you over there cold all game long. <laughs> I'm going to tell you right now, I'm, I'm, I'm putting on as many clothes as possible. That's See, I don't get to sweat, and I certainly don't get to run around. Um, <laughs> so, so for me, I'm trying to wrap up a little bit more. And and I love defensive guys because of their mindset. And obviously, like he like he just said that them coming down on kickoff, they're a huge help to me as well. If I if I mass, miss hit one or whatever, and 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 so I've always ag- agreed with defensive guys. This is one area I won't agree on though. I have to be warm. They get to run around and I don't. Well, I, but but I, you got, hey, hey, Reese, you have a bench over there, though, with fire coming out of it. You can sit it depends out. Depends on if you're home or away. Yeah, yeah, that, and that's part of it. But but not only that, you still got to get off that bench at some point. And that's the problem because the kicker's life is going from one bench to the other, depending on who's on the field. So if the offense is on the field, we're on the offensive bench. When they come off the field, we go and take the defensive bench. So we do more walking than running just because we're trading benches every two minutes. But um, I'm, <laughs> I, I, the, the mentor, I still can't fathom hitting someone as hard as these guys do when it's that cold. Putting on a cold helmet is one of the worst feelings ever if you're not sweating and getting it warm. The, 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 the padding inside feels like it's just a rock pushing against your forehead until it obviously gets warm and it softens up. That's one of the worst feelings, and these guys are hitting each other with it. And, and I just can't fathom getting hit 
the way these guys hit each other, I'm quite happy the the decision I made and and decided to be a kicker. That's <laughs> great. Hey, hey guys, thank you very much for joining me. I appreciate it. I love to have you on again. Yeah. And uh, and it won't have to be the big dummy segment next time. I mean, you know, but I just love talking football, and uh, I got educated today. So thank you all for coming in, Eddie. Real quick. Guys lose their mind because they don't practice on that five, four, three, two, one, and hit that big shot. So when you practice on that, you prepare for that your whole career. All right. Have a chance to lose your mind. <laughs> there you go. All right, guys. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks again to Kwame Lasseter and Reeves Lloyd. What a tremendous amount of information. And I guarantee you, I'm still not playing in the cold. I don't care how much Vaseline you get me to put on. Now to that segment that makes us relive the past. And last week's Reggie Theus interview was off the chain, but it's gonna be top this week because I have one of my special ex-teammates and I'm talking about charismatic, knowledgeable, and just really loved his craft. And his name is Kevin Willis. You're gonna enjoy this from back in the day. Reminiscing about Back in the Day. Joining me for Back in the Day. Yeah, yeah. His name is Kevin. I never heard this when you played Alvin Willis. <laughs> you know it. <laughs> See, I call you out on Back in the Alvin, Day now. <laughs> it's all good, man. That's now, it. Now, look. Pershing mm -hmm. High School in Detroit, Michigan. Man, tell me about that school. Was there any other alumni there as well? You know what, Eddie? Um, I went to Kettering High School my ninth grade, 10th grade. Then mom decided to move on the northeast side of town, found a, a new house, man. So we moved. And believe it or not, at Kettering, I tried out for the ninth grade team and quit. I'm like, man, these cats ain't going to do nothing with me, man. So we ended up, I ended up quitting. Then several months later, we ended up moving. And so by the time the summer came, man, I was out of school, out of school and I had to declare what school I was going to go to and register. So it was either Pershing or Osborne. Mm -hmm. We were close to the, I mean, it was close to the Pershing. So obviously I had to make that decision. Spencer Haywood went there and whatnot. So I went there and I wasn't even on the basketball team, nothing at Kettering or on this one. So the uh -huh. coach walks up to me. I'm walking to the hallway. He say, "Hey, young man, um, how long you been here?" I said, I "Just, I just transferred." He said, "Where you transferred?" I, I transferred from Kettering High School. <laughs> and he said, "You play basketball?" I said, "I tried, but I don't want to play basketball." Mm -hmm. And he said, "How tall were you then?" I was about six four. Uh huh. And he says, "Young man, you need to play basketball." I said, "Well, I tried out for JV at Kettering." And I ended up quitting because they wasn't doing right by me. Mm -hmm. He said, I tell you what, you play for me and and I'll do right by you. Just give it a try. Come to my class. He, he taught P, P, um, um, physical education uh -huh. my last period. He was a teacher and he's a coach. So mm -hmm. I said, all right, I got your class anyway. So I'll come and check it out. So he puts me in this position where I go into the gym. I don't know nobody. I'm a new kid on the block. Right. I get into the gym and all the other players are there, obviously, on the team because they got this class. And they're playing and dunking and all having a good old time. People are sitting all in the bleachers. And I'm like this kid looking around like, what in the hell? And all of a sudden, he says, let me see you um, uh, let me see you dunk one. 
Now, I ain't never dunked a ball in my life. Uh, I have never dunked a basketball. <laughs> and I'm feeling this pressure. And I said, man. So I grabbed the ball. My hands, you know, my hands ain't that big. <laughs> so I grabbed the ball. And I remember I remember seeing either it was um, uh, George Gerben or somebody cut, cuff the ball. Mm-hmm. And I said, the only way I'm going to hold on to the ball, because I, I ain't going to try it two hands. So I go up with one hand. And I run with it and go up and I miss. And he said, well, try it again. So I try again. And I missed again, but I noticed I was up pretty high. Uh-huh. I was scared. <laughs> so I go up. And then the third attempt, I say, well, it's not working me cuffing it. So I said, the only person I saw grab a ball and dunk with two hands and do it with some force, I right. said, Daryl Dawkins. Yeah. He took that joker from back here. Uh-huh. And I said, that's I'm going to try. And I went up, E, and banged that joker through, man, so hard, man. From that that moment on, it, it was, was on. on. It was it. That was it. <laughs> I was on forever. What made you decide on Michigan State? Bill Frieder and Judd Heathcote come to junior college and watch my game. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I don't know what Michigan State coming for because I'm, I'm, going to, I'm going to U of M. And I'm telling myself that. And then after it was all said and done, the next day, they talked to my coach, and he told me what they were talking about. He mm-hmm. says, well, Bill Frieder said that he don't think you're ready for Big Ten basketball. He don't think that I could play in the Big Ten. I was just too raw, and I wasn't ready. Right. I said, okay. I said, what did the other uh, Coach Heathcote say? He said, Coach Heathcote like you because you seven foot. You can run. Right. You're athletic. And he said – he can teach you how to play basketball. I said, okay. I said, give me about a month, man. Let me make, I'm going to make my decision. Mm-hmm. I called my coach. I told him about two or three weeks later. I said, coach, he's then judge sent magic. Oh, uh, well, hey, 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 you sent magic. You in trouble. Yeah. So he came down. <laughs> magic came down. I'm on, I'm on this little junior college campus and I'm walking around with magic. And I'm like, man, shoot. I'm, it, man. I'm feeling good about myself. Magic come and see me. So after Madge left, I tell my coach, I said, I'm going to Michigan State. I'm going to Michigan State, mm-hmm. and I'm going to show Bill Friedrich and let him know. I'm going to let him – I'm going to show him if I can play in the Big Ten. And Bill's out here in Phoenix, so I remind yeah. him every time I see him. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> let him know. Yeah, and you had a tremendous career there as well. And, mm-hmm. you know, you – when I looked at some of your stats, I saw mm-hmm. something that jumped out at me. And I'm going to jump mm-hmm. forward and come back with, yeah. you know, it was so many Michigan State alums there. I mean, we'd be sitting here all day talking about all the great players that's come out right. of Michigan State. And obviously, mm-hmm. you mentioned the most popular one in Magic Johnson. Right. But did you know, out of all the pros that have gone on to play in the NBA, it was only one guy that played more games than you, and that's Johnny Green within the NBA. You know that. You're not a stat guy. I don't think you pay right. attention to it. But, you know, you sit six all time in games played in the history of the right. game. And, and Johnny Green was that guy. It wasn't Magic. It wasn't Steve Smith. Exactly. It was Johnny Green. And wow, that just goes to show that. you you know, how an, an, an alma mater can hide a guy because That's of right. all the great players, you know, that went yeah. there. And, and Johnny Green was that guy. That was something that stuck out at me. Wow, jumping Johnny Green. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah, you know, but oh, yeah. you get drafted and, and get mm-hmm. drafted by the Atlanta Hawks, correct? 
Dude, that's exactly right. Yeah, and that team in Atlanta, man, it was a, it was such a powerful team. I mean, you mm -hmm. guys, unfortunately, you had to deal with Boston and yeah. for those number of years. But mm -hmm. you all were young. You said you had a great nucleus. You all played a role. Right. Tell me a little bit about that Hawks team that took the Boston Celtics to the edge. Well, that team, you know, when we were when I was a rookie, we had John Conkac. Uh, coming in, he came in the next year. We had John Battle. We had Doc Rivers in his, I think he was in his second year. Nick was in his third year. Whitman was in his, I believe, second or third year. Tree Rollins was in his, like, seventh or eighth year. And you had a core of guys, uh, Scott Hastings. You had a core of guys that really, really got along good together. Mm -hmm. We had a nucleus that was, like, amazing. And then we had Mike Patello, who was the rookie head coach, that was behind Lockery all them years. Mm -hmm. So we had a great young coach. We had a, 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 a Antoine Carr Cliff. These guys who are every everybody ninety percent of the guys on the team was extremely athletic. Mm -hmm. Whitman couldn't. Whitman wasn't too bad. Scott <laughs> Hastings wasn't. He too just bad. looked extra slow running next yeah. to you all. <laughs> yeah, but we knew all we had to do was free wit up, and he you know we gonna get his shot off. But that nucleus of guys. We did so many different things e off the court and during the off season that kept us you know well grounded, kept us together. And I think it carried over. And then we got that those beatings from from the Detroits and beaten from the Boston Celtics all those years. We started to mature and realize in our minds mentally that you know what? We 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 on the court with these guys. Right. And we know we we athletic as they are. We're younger than them. We just have to mature, mm -hmm. and we have to believe that we can beat these cats. Mm -hmm. And when we took when we took um, Detroit out and knocked them out, and went to went to that series against Boston, and once we got there, and that was in what the, year? Boston Boston series. That was that what? was 87, 88 yeah, uh -huh. And it was like we here. We never got to the point like we we satisfied that we here. We went in knowing we're going to beat Boston. Right. We're going to beat Boston. Mm -hmm. And we, we took them to that game seven, and it was the, one of the most excited, celebrated playoff series ever. I know. And um, we ended up ultimately – this is where the cap. We ultimately ended up doing that game seven, the big rival, Hanique and Bird, doing their thing. Mm -hmm. But it was, it was a growth thing again. It was like – if we gone through that, we go to game seven, if we would have stayed together that following year, that same team, same personnel, maybe added one piece, maybe bring in another shooter, maybe bring in another defensive ace. Right. Don't need nobody to score, this and that. We got all that covered. Just those little key points that we need to have players to come in and do those key roles. I think that following year, we probably would have won. You would have won. Yeah. Championship. Yeah. And you played what, 21, 22 years? 22 years. Yeah. Hey, that's unbelievable. And, and unbelievable, you know, with, with, a, with a number of teams, and it tells me that you love the game. I always yeah. tell people, they say, mm -hmm. man, how can you play that long? I mean, I snuck 17 in. Yeah. I say, you have to have the love for the game. And I think you, more than any player that's played in the game, probably up there with Robert Parrish, obviously Kareem yes, Abdul Jabbar, yes. that mm -hmm. the love of the game kept you going. And I just want to know, how did you stay healthy, man? Because when you played that many years, you played till you was well. You took a year off, right? Then you came two back. Years. Two yeah, years. Two off. years off. Came back to the Dallas Mavericks at forty-four right. years old. Right. I mean, 
How did you stay healthy in this day and age now, man, with these young guys, man? Yeah. They'll miss two weeks with a sprained ankle. Uh, they might miss a game with a headache. How are you oh, able easy. to just parlay that into that long career? Well, I think it was um, just like you said, it's the love of the game, the camaraderie of your, your teammates, and you know we play together, that work ethic. Mm-hmm. It was I was I wasn't ever gonna be outworked. It wasn't gonna be where a cat gonna outwork me in the summer. He's not gonna get doing the training camp, and you gonna show me up in training camp. I'm coming in in the training camp knowing, well, whoever team I'm on, I'm beating all guards. Right. That was my mindset. I'm beating all guards. And I you mean, did. I, all of them, I saw you run sprints when you, you know were when you were in high thirties. <laughs> so. That was my, my my mindset because I knew I was blessed to have this. You know, everybody ain't seven foot, and have the the built or the, the genetics I have. So my thing was never to do anything to tarnish or or, or damage that. So, uh-huh. you, had, you had some secrets. See, you're not fooling me. You can come clean now. <laughs> you can come clean now. Now, one of your secrets on the court and stay healthy. Is yeah. you were pretty well armored up, you know. Yeah. And and I used to play against you, and yeah. I caught oh, yeah. a couple of them elbows, you know. Oh, yeah. And then you got smart, and you started putting pads on your elbows, and you know that was intimidating people because you always have them up in their face and that thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that was, you know, I had to. I damaged one of my elbows. You know, hit that funny bone. Yeah, on somebody's chin. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I was like, man, that's killing. And I do it, it was happening frequently. So I said, you know what? I'm going to put this elbow pad on and try to help it. And then I'm looking. It looked awkward. I ain't got. T- I need two of them on. So I put those on for the hell of it. And so I just made it my thing now. So I got both of them on. And then, like you say, it's an intimidating factor. Yeah, too. it was. You know, so my thing was, if I want to get a cat off of me, I can get him off of me without knocking his eyeball out, but uh, these elbows will help me so protect him. <laughs> but but if you knock this eyeball out, you know, yeah. that's that's part of the game, right? <laughs> you know it. You yeah. know, it, I think it came to fruition for you in 2003, mm-hmm. where you had that opportunity to experience something that you were chasing. Next thing I know, I get a, I get a call, man, from, from, from Papa Bitch. I'm on the phone with Pop, man, and I'm like, Yes, I will come. Yeah. Yes, I will be there. Whatever you need. So he tells right. me everything and he says, hey, I want you to, um, here's your role. How you feel about it? Mm-hmm. I say, coach, whatever you need. And you deserved it because if anybody that had put all that you have into the game and didn't miss games, played yeah. injured, and have that chance to win a championship, man, yes. that – that had to be the re- that that made you feel like that's the reason why all this stuff is is, is been yes. in my life and uh, yes and I was I was extremely happy for you I was jumping Appreciate up and down it. for you I rarely cheered for the Spurs yeah, but that yeah. year you were on the Spurs I cheered and I because we point. were teammates and yeah, no and question. quickly we got a few minutes here but quickly our experience in Houston you know I've been on a lot of funny loose teams but yeah. our experience in Houston man those years and, and we had a chance I mean we had a very no, talented a team with obviously dream and Charles yeah. and Clyde mm-hmm. uh, in, in those in those late 90s but you know we just couldn't get over the hump you know yeah. we had a, yeah. a tough series against Utah. But mm-hmm. as a team, man, we were close-knit. And I got a chance to get to know you because I was always yeah. an opponent 
and you used to always get under my skin. You pop me. Get out of this yeah. lane. You know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that yep. that 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 team was unreal. And I told somebody this story, and I'm sure you remember it. You know, one day we had shoot around, and Charles came to shoot around with some boots on and had mud on the bottom. And I told people, I said, you know what? That is probably the weirdest thing I've ever seen in my uh, life. But that's the type of team that we had. We were yeah. all older. We were all set in our ways. Clyde yep. would show up three minutes before practice, wouldn't even stretch. Yep, yep, <laughs> yep. That's Clyde all day, all day. I think that I think that time, man, that we had that, that team, out of the teams I played for, the players I played with, I tell people this all the time, if I wasn't in Atlanta, I would be in Houston. Mm -hmm. That's what type of relationship that we had in uh -huh. Houston, the city, the fans, that organization, and them core players, man, it was like no other. Now, you, yeah. my rookie year was, you know, it would make it all in. That was fun. That was great. But we all mature. We, we vets. We didn't have to be sort of teachered or looked over. Right. We just had a hell of a team. We had yeah. a hell of a team. Yeah. And like you say, whatever it was that we couldn't get over that little bump, man, against Utah, man. I thought if we if we the one if we the won that series, we the one that we the one that uh MVP the championship again. No doubt. It, okay, yeah. man, tell me what you're doing now, man. You're retired. You only been yeah. out of the league, what, two months? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I heard right. Dominique talking about you last week. They, he's like, uh -huh. Kevin Willis looks like he can still play. I said, look, most conditioned athlete I've ever seen in my life. That's but right. also off the court, man, you have done so many things. But fashion has always been always what has grabbed your attention. What are you doing now? Well, the, the fashion component, as you know, I've been doing it ever since you know, we was in Houston, before mm -hmm. Houston. And I'm still doing it. I'm sitting right now in my flagship store. I got a 3,400 square foot flagship store uh, in Buckhead, Atlanta. Mm -hmm. Two levels, absolutely beautiful, man, absolutely beautiful. And I welcome you to come in once y'all, when y'all yes. come to Phoenix. I mean, come here from Phoenix, play the Hawks. But it's it's a lifestyle brand. I started 12 years ago. I did everything over time, but 12 years ago, I really started getting heavy in denim, and. Um, I mastered it now. Now I understand the development of denim, how it's weaved, how it's made, how it's washed, how the shrinkages, the whole nine yards. So that's my that's my anchor. Now I've added to pair with that denim uh, with the denim is sport coats, uh, woven shirts, knits, outerwear, leather, non denim bottoms, suits, the whole nine. So it's a lifestyle brand now. And when you when you come over, you will be like. Man, I didn't know you was doing all this like this. Uh -huh. So I sell to stores like Saks Fifth Avenue. Um, I just I just um, did a big deal with Dillard's. Mm -hmm. So I'm in 52 stores with Dillard's um, in the process of growing that business with Dillard's. And Neiman Marcus and Nordstrom's are on the horizon. I'm talking, I'm in, I'm in conversation with those guys now. So I'm trying to expand and get the distribution I need to build a brand. What was your first job? Working in the factory, sweeping up steel chips. Steel chips. But you had goggles on, right? I had goggles on, and in the, in, the, in the these these big molds with these steel these big steel things that go mm -hmm. through the machine. You shave them with this hot lead. This thing to shave the chips off this metal, shaving it, shaping the steel. Uh -huh. They fall on the ground. They 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 burn in hot red because they're so hot. I would have to take this 
take this shovel and shovel them into a wheelbarrow and take them out to the back of the factory. I was 12 years old. Wow, wow. Okay. Now, I know that I know you have somebody, so I don't want to hear it. When you played your 22 years, if you could have smacked somebody and gotten away with it, who would it have been? Bill Lane Bill. <laughs> Bill Lane Bill. Smack the dog shit out of him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was that's who it would have been. Right there. Okay, so who was the guy that you like to that you wanted to bust up every time you played against him? You know, just something about him, you know, he got the best of you that you just wanted to just have a great game against and bust him up. I would say it would have to be I would say Carl Malone. Uh-huh. You have to say Carl. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Carl was Carl was one of them guys, man. That you know, he just he cried this and that. I went to the refs, and I just wanted to shut him down and just give it to him. Give it to sure. him. But, but a great guy, man. I, I saw a lot of those, though. I saw yeah. a lot of oh, those yeah. moments. You know that. Yeah. Yes. Yes, indeed. So, who was your favorite athlete growing up? My favorite, Muhammad Ali. Boom. You see the gloves behind me? Cash is clay, baby. You know yeah. that. That's it. Period. <laughs> Hands down. I'll Hands down. I'll Not leave. even close. Not even close. And what's I'll your leave. what's your favorite prize possession right now? As far as materialistic, my ring. Mm-hmm. My ring. Mm-hmm. My ring. That's that, great. That to me, 19 years of waiting to get that, the, the long career, the championship ring. All right, Kevin Alvin Willis. Yes, sir. And, and, and you can be reached at on your Twitter, Kevin Willis42. Kevin Willis42. Kevin Willis42. Man, I appreciate talking to you today. Anytime, E. I don't know about you, but I'm serious. I, I can talk for hours when it comes to reliving the past with guys that I was attached to in some way or some form in my career. What a tremendous individual Kevin Willis is. And I thoroughly enjoyed it. I hope you did as well. And now let's move on to my final thought. Here are Eddie's final thoughts. That phrase, sick and tired, it really relates to the San Antonio Spurs. When are they going to go away? Or are they ever going to go away? And I think what we need to recognize, they're not going to go away. Because strategically, they're the best organization in pro sports. They get it. Their communication line from top to bottom is immovable. They figured it out. And it started back when David Robinson decided to adhere to Greg Popovich and allow Tim Duncan to take over. 16 years ago. And Tim Duncan was the perfect pupil for it because you know why? He's followed the advice of David Robinson and he's allowed Tony Parker to take over. He's allowed Manu Ginobili to take over. And now guess what? Kawhi Leonard and LaMarcus Aldridge are the future. The San Antonio Spurs, they are envy. Everyone dislikes them. And not because they're bad, it's because they're good. And they're not going anywhere. Right now, 
They're just running a shadow distance behind the Golden State Warriors. Both teams having a tremendous start. And it's all predicated on that one word, communication, which leads to adhering to job responsibility, which is most importantly focused at role play. And they play their roles from top to bottom. And that's why I'm sick and tired. We are at the end of another podcast, number four. Thank you again for joining me this week. Look forward to seeing you for podcast number five. Also, again, this podcast is brought to you by Jason Mitchell Realty Group. Their resources and technology are simply the best in the business. So please give Jason and his team a call at 480-522-1030. Again, that's 480-522-1030. 1030 or visit Jason and his team at mitchellgroupaz.com. Have a great week. Take care.